to The New Disruptors, a podcast that says perpetual motion may not be real, but to judge by some guests, you could fool me. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. Uh, CWT is Sei Wei Wang and Taylor Levy. They combine art, technology, design, and manufacture into everyday objects that have nothing everyday about them, as well as unique expressions of industrial design that can't really be compared with anything else. We first spoke back in 2013 about the Pen Type A, and uh, that was your first highly funded project, uh, and we've had uh, had a lot of complexity involved in it. Uh, six years later, you all have completed dozens of projects of different scales and natures. You moved from New York to Massachusetts and back, and you 3D printed two humans. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having us again. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a few years. This is kind of the the check, like every several year check in. And I, you know, I'm going to your site, and I follow you on Instagram and in other social <laughs> media, and check in. And I'm like, you have you have a lot of work going on. And like at one point, this is what I. Uh, so there there are many things to to love about your work, and one of them is one day I'm looking at Instagram. And I'm like, what is this thing? I cannot figure it out. I'm watching the videos and I'm like, oh my God, you've developed some kind of thing that prints heat sealable inflatable objects. Can you tell me a little <laughs> bit about that? What where What's the genesis of that? I've been interested in inflatables for a while. Uh, I taught a studio at, our, at Pratt where we made some large inflatables. And then I got a grant from Pratt. You know, Pratt gives out these faculty grants. Um, so I applied for the faculty grant and decided I wanted to build uh, this large scale heat sealing machine. Yeah. And this heat sealing machine is based on uh, Jifei O's work. He He's a Media Lab alum, or maybe he's finishing up right now. I think he's an alum now. Yeah. Uh, he made a smaller version of this machine and did a lot of really interesting work. And I was just excited to see what would happen if you made it larger so you can build architectural scale inflatables off of this machine. It's an incredible thing. I recommend to everyone to go. I'll put a link in the show note to your Instagram feed. Uh, I'm looking at the Instagram feed and I thought, are you developing for space? Are these new aircraft? Or I, I couldn't. It's fun to not know, to be able to conceptualize what you're working on by looking at the thing you're actually doing uh-huh. uh is there is there a practical purpose for this is this um i don't mean that things have to have a practical purpose but it's super interesting as a design concept so i don't know how it gets applied or if it is you're pushing limits of material it's very experimental uh it's so the machine is housed in a research center at pratt in the architecture building called the center for experimental structures and so you know the premise behind the research group is to use it's sort of like hardcore geometry and uh, it's a mix of material research and geometry research to come up with new structures so this sort of falls into that main thing the thesis of the of the research group uh so the idea is like you know just experimenting with inflatables in the machine to come up with different ways of constructing structures I thought this was a tension across all your work that you have uh, this incredible integrity about the aesthetic art part, that there's a, some of it that's just exploration of the idea of things, um, but always expressed in this really interesting hardware fashion that you're making a thing that does a thing. I mean, you're making a thing sometimes that makes another thing, or sometimes you're making the <laughs> thing itself. But that those two things, I, I feel like um, most industrial designers don't get the opportunity to explore the artistic side as much. And most artists don't necessarily implement things fully 
as working design objects. Is is this a? I don't mean to summarize your work for you, but is this kind of what drives you being able to push across those boundaries back and forth? I think you just summarized it really well. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't think it's intentional on our part, but I like that. That's what you see. Yeah, I just think both of those areas are satisfying to work within. And so like, we don't really see one or the other as really separate things. They just are like things that we like to do and they're ways that we like to make things. Right. And I know that uh, like pen type A was the first big project. Now you have pen type A and B, of course. And uh, and there's other things I love watching, you know, the creation of the key wrangler, your salty salt vessel, all these things. And um, the thing that you wanted to talk about most today was time since launch, which I just, I love this project. Do you want to describe, I, I don't want to describe your stuff for you. What's the intent behind it is maybe the best way to ask. This idea, the intent behind time since launch, I guess that's a good place to start. We want people to have tools, devices, things in their lives that give them ownership or empower them over the way they spend their time or the way they view time. Um, So Time Since Launch, it's a single-use launch clock. And the way that it works is you pull a launch pin, and from that moment, it starts counting from zero. It counts seconds, minutes, hours, and days all the way up to 999,999 days, which is over 2,000 years. So the idea of having something like this in your life, like a lot of people, like they'll hear them be like, what? Like, why would you want something like that? But um, what makes the most sense to people is the suggestion, like sometimes people use it when they get married. So they'll always have this device that shows them it's been like X number of days, minutes, hours, and seconds since we we tie the knot or since our baby was born. But really our idea is to just like turn any, is a tool to turn any arbitrary moment into your moment zero. So that's like the moment that your epic started and you always have that in your mind whenever you look at it and when you live with it on a day-to-day basis. And you built something irreversible into it, which is one of the things I love about it is this isn't a resettable clock. This is a, you pull the pin and you've done something irrevocable and uh how does that play into i guess the nature of the piece that it it, does this make it an art piece at some level as well as something that's you know a time piece yes yeah that's our (laughs) it's our secret yeah (laughs) secret not so secret it's just like a desirable thing from our perspective is to make products disguised as art objects because you know we're we're we're, you know like we we're like wannabe artists and we don't hustle enough to make it in the art world but we do know how to sell products so that's sort of our our channel to distribute our artwork is to disguise it as a product and get it out there i don't want to ask you sales figures because you're a you're a privately held corporation company and um but i'm curious has this caught people's imagination maybe as it caught it in the way that you that you intended uh yeah actually su- yeah surprisingly <laughs> i mean when we launched this project we had no idea if people would just think it was some weird useless device but we were actually quite surprised when people like really we, we spent a lot of time telling the story but behind the um behind time since launch so that when people saw it they were like okay i understand why they made that and i understand what how it could be in my life but going into it we really had no idea if people were going to be receptive to it or not 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. We find people that get it and are very excited about it. And then we also find people that are just like, they don't get it and are, they think it's the dumbest thing in the world. And that's okay. Yeah. It's not for them. I have this theory about art, that art should either make you mad or um, delighted. And that mm. indifference is the enemy, right? So that if people get mad at something you make, that may be as much of a, not a compliment, of course, because you don't want people necessarily to be angry at you. But but if it provokes a response, right? The worst thing right. is meh. The right. whatever people say, like, I can't stand this thing. Why would you make it? No one should have this. Sometimes, I mean, again, you don't want the hate, but it does. You have created a reaction in people um, that can be as strong as this is the best thing ever. I love it. I need to have 10 of them. Right. Yeah. We tend to see the two ends, which is kind of amazing with this thing. It's like, yeah, it gets people to talk about it. And, it, you know, we've seen people, you know, without us being involved, argue about why why it's a good product like you know yeah just like in comment threads it's, yeah, it's really cool have people have fights among themselves about it yeah uh, i know you've always been interested in uh you know it's the theme through your work is working with interesting materials and combining materials and sometimes exploring the limits of what's manufacturable in different ways this is a pretty complicated object i'm looking at the blow up of it of all the different parts in nature uh you know how, how is this manufactured how much of this do you make yourself and how much do you contract out to have made we everything is made outside we do all the assembly and the programming so you know like the pcb you know is assembled somewhere else the metal parts are assembled in another place the glass is coming from another place you know and then we're taking all of those components and assembling them ourselves yeah it actually has like the most extensive build materials that we've ever had for a project but we've had the least or i guess it's we've had problems with the manufacturing but the least amount of trouble with manufacturing this than any of our other things i would say yeah and this is also a product you can sell forever as long as someone will make it for you or make the parts for you there's no right. um it's a time it's weird to make something that counts time and it's timeless there's no um <laughs> no sense of the now in it. I, I'm reading the, the spec on this and it has a you know conservative uh, runtime of 40 years. What happens? So 40 years from now, some people may be still kicking around with this. Is it possible to replace the battery or is that going to be it? Yeah, you can replace the batteries. So oh, that's there's great. backup capacitors on there that hold the charge. So you have a couple minutes to take the batteries out. So this could be, an. I mean, this is what's, let's see, this is one of the aspects of this is like you're creating a thing for now and for forever. The parts and elements of this could last hundreds, maybe even thousands of years, honestly, the way it's sealed and everything. There's no, as long as people keep making these kinds of batteries and, right. you know, if, if society doesn't collapse, I assume people will be able to charge this even if they're using tiny fusion batteries or something. And right. Like I, years. we chose the AA format because it <laughs> felt like the most safe, like the safest bet in terms of battery formats that will continue. So hopefully. How do you design for eternity? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a really good question. It's really hard, yeah. especially with electronics, because none of, none of the components we use, you know, not, no electronic components are designed to last for more than 50 years. Like, it's generally 50 years is the time limit. And so we're, we're just hoping things will last. And so we've done everything we could to be gentle with the components, like so the way they're soldered, you know, the temperatures that they go through when they're reflowed and stuff, everything is as gentle as possible so that 
hopefully the components last as long as possible. Great. It's a time capsule for yourself too, because conceivably, uh, I, I wish I, I wish and hope you all will be here in forty or fifty years, and mm-hmm. you'll be able to see, you know, in that time, will the thing will it last? Will it keep? Right. You know, you'll have your own units. You know, presumably museums are buying these or people buying them for collections too because it is an art object. Um, and mm. maybe people won't even have triggered them yet. They'll be sitting them with this in this potential state for right. an indefinite period of time too. But it's, I was thinking this reminded me of the sand mandalas, but then I realized it's also kind of the opposite of that is that it's not the pulling the plug is the sand part. Once you do that, you've made an irreversible thing. You've, you've, created the piece but you've also broken it in a significant way it's now functional but it lacks functionality (laughs) (laughs) so you've created something that's like a permanent ephemera can't think of anything else that i think of in this way nobody else makes something that breaks and then works forever yeah that's true yeah there's a bunch of single use things out there but i don't know if there's a single use forever thing <laughs> yeah. there must be but i can't think of one there's some things i mean you know you could say that like making an object is a permanent use if you make something archival you know you print right, a piece yeah. or you carve something but it doesn't have a dynamic component to it right about materials too is i, I know uh, again watching instagram feeds i see you have like water cooled machine cutting stuff it's really i mean you're again i'll folks i'll put it in the uh show notes the instagram feed is great because i never know what's going to show up there and i'm just like sometimes i sit there and watch the videos over and over it's like wow what are they they're carving away so clearly you've had access to new and different kinds of tools at, uh I, you know i know tools sometimes drive people because you learn about how to do something new and you think well now i have an i have an application i want to try for that and sometimes you're solving a problem i want to do a thing and i need to figure out which tool will allow me to do this this concept um did you have that tension in this did you learn new tools or get new tools to create this i don't think not with time since launch right well a lot of the electrical engineering of time since launch like went outside of the scope of what we are comfortable with like mm. we have a, and so that was something that's like that's really, I think, an interesting and special part of this piece because we worked with somebody who is like a wizard. Of, his name is Josh Levine, and he's a wizard of electrical engineering. And he's the person who really honed this piece down to make it like, he just like really geeked out on how long it could possibly last for and how, how efficient it was in terms of its energy usage. But I think in terms of tools... Yeah, everything was pretty standard for this one. Like I said, the way it was, it was like the least complicated manufacturing process for us of any of our other projects. But, you know, it's like we already had all the tools necessary to prototype this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, we didn't, and I think in general, the way we work, or the way I work is, uh, you know, like we, I buy machines before knowing what we'll use it for. And then it ends up becoming a indispensable tool because we explore it and find new things to do with it. And so Time Since Launch kind of just happened. You know, it's a four-year-old project when we launched it. So it was already sitting on the back burner and we had already, you know, acquired all these machines for other projects that we were working on. And so, yeah, it was pretty easy to prototype. We already knew that easy to manufacture this maybe this contrasts with um with the uh, key wrangler which is a really neat concept i know it's also relatively new but uh i remember seeing a lot of process photos of that because you did a lot of test manufacture when that was under yeah. prototyping 
Yeah, we were really hoping to make those in-house. And so that's, yeah, that's why we were prototyping a lot and just like tweaking the manufacturing process to see if we could make it affordable to do it in-house. Uh, but in the end, it, you know, our machines are too slow. And it looks, it's funny because it looks relatively simple compared to right. time since launch, but it's it's not really, right? It's like a whole other kind of complexity. Right, yeah. I realized the other thing about Time Since Launch, I was trying to figure out why it resonated with me so much. And it's, I've spent a lot of time over the years writing about the Voyager 1 and 2 probes. And, you know, they have mm. these uh, radioactive uh, thermo generators um, in them. So yeah. it's power inefficiently converted to, or heat inefficiently converted to power. But they just keep going and going and going. And it's been right. decades. And they're running down slowly, but they still produce useful science information. And they're sending it back over this infinite distance. And I'm like, oh, time since launch actually feels a little bit like you've launched a probe into the future. It's a right. sealed probe. And it has some amount of power. Maybe you can you know, replace the power source. But that you're operating on these very thin power margins to make something travel through time. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> a space probe. You've made a space probe on Earth. Right. Yeah, well, we actually have plans to make a time capsule. That's our Ooh. next next big, big project. We don't know when it'll come out. Big, big small. Big, small projects. <laughs> big as oh, in well. just like amount of effort probably we're going to put into it. And it's a time capsule that is timed. So you, you set the time for how long you want to lock whatever you want to lock up. And then it unlocks itself automatically. I love time capsules. I'm making a time capsule now, sort of. My oh. uh, tiny type museum and time capsule project is really about collecting like a, almost a teaching collection of type and printing artifacts. Like they're cool. historic and some are modern. Are you, and you're putting it in a real time capsule that you're burying? I'm not, although now I should, now that you say that, I'm not doing that. I was thinking each, we're making a custom case for it, and each case is its own time capsule, uh, as long as it's broken up. So it's a time capsule you can touch, which is not usually the time capsule right. um, yeah. thing. But yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful idea. I was also going to say you should go into space, because you know it's really becoming very affordable to send up little 10-centimeter cubes into space that can do right. that. So, yeah. so uh that would be the next thing is to put one of these into orbit. And um, well, recently yeah. there's that uh, that archive of text that was dropped on the moon. You know about this? Oh yeah, I think it's like a Israeli space. Yeah, it, it crashed, but I don't right, know what that means that it was broken. It's still there. I mean, it didn't, yeah. So it they didn't... did some like forensic from a distance. Yeah, NASA's help, and they claim that it's fully intact. That is awesome. So, there's there's yeah, also, I wrote cool. recently about, there's a, a vault um, under a college in Georgia that's sealed for 6,000 years. Um, yeah. So people, people, I mean, it's funny because, um, you know, a time capsule, it's sealed for 20 years, maybe even 80. That's within living memory and people, people forget about them. They forget where they are. <laughs> but but a, a time capsule that exceeds our lifespan is like, it is exactly the same kind of, you know, I'll get philosophical. It's the, it's the same reason we have children. Is Children are time capsules. <laughs> yeah. They hopefully will exceed our lifetimes and continue on and carry memories yeah. that of the past. Um, as always, it's delightful to talk to you about your work. I cannot wait to see the next things uh, you all create. And um, folks should go and get a time since launch and figure out an important event in their life to pull the trigger on <laughs> yeah or not important or just like a random moment you're totally right i don't know why <laughs> right that's the whole point it could be anything mm -hmm. yeah you said however you want taylor and say thank you again for coming back on the show thank you so much for having us 
This has been The New Disruptors. The theme music is by Jeff Tolbert. Audio lives at SoundCloud and the site runs on Squarespace. This episode was hosted by me, Glenn Fleischman. You can help support this podcast and fund the production of more episodes by visiting newdisrupt.org support and find out about monthly and yearly membership options that include access to a private discussion forum for listeners, a fancy enamel pin, and being thanked on an episode. This episode copyright 2018, a periodical LLC. It's licensed under the Creative Commons by NCND 3.0 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution by linking back to newdisrupt.org. I only ask you don't offer it for sale. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening.